In our culture, everything is based on success. But what is success and who to find it? That's the big question. Is it measurable? Can you obtain it? Can you dream it? Can you hold it? I'm on a quest to redefine how we view success, and I'd like to bring you on this journey. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. It is the real stories behind success. This is episode number 62 with John Raleigh. My name's Tony Grebmeyer, and what I want to talk to you about today is what a lot of people just skimp over in life. They get up every morning, they, they go work a job they love, they hopefully, I said love, right? You got that. But hopefully they get to where they need to go in life. There's absolutely everything that they want, but they miss the mark 100% of the time because they think they want success. They want money. They want to live a luxury lifestyle. And at the end of the day, what they find is they're not where they want to be. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk to John Raleigh and, and why I brought him on as a guest. He started out working as a janitor after having an athletic career that was cut short by a near-fatal car crash. He eventually made a name for himself in the toughest real estate market in the world, Manhattan, and has since earned the title of America's lifestyle strategist by inspiring millions to become physically, mentally, and spiritually fit. And why I wanted him to be on the show today is not only does he have a top offer, which is oldschoolnewbody.com, and we're going to talk about that, but we're going to talk about how life sometimes throws a wrench into what your idea of success is or your plan, and then you have to set yourself up for a comeback for kind of a new paradigm shift. You have to make some changes along the way. So please welcome my dear friend, John Raleigh, to the show. Tony, thanks for having me on. After that introduction, I want to hear me. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm excited that you're here. What, what I want to do is I ask one question. This is really the main question that sets the tone for the entire show. I talked a little bit about it in the beginning, but what is your definition of success? You know, really my definition of success, and you know, I've been, you know what I'm going through lately, so I've been reevaluating my life, really is to be around people that I love and, and people who love me. The rest of it is just a bonus. When your business success, happiness, or anything else, that's all just a bonus. But if I'm around people who love me and if I'm around, I'm around people I love and I'm hopefully serving the world with the gifts God has given me, I've been as successful as I need to be. Man, I got to tell you, that that's a first. I love it. I get a lot of people answers and it's it's not simple. It's a little bit more drawn out. And yours is like, I kind of take it to our, our deal with God, right? Love God, love people. Yes. Like you want to be around that, right? Like I want to be around people who want me around. If you don't want me around, I'll move on. There's over, you know, 8 billion people in the world. So I'll find some people who love me. I'm not worried about the ones who said no, because I know there's more opportunity out there for me. But I just got to tell you, that's awesome. Great way to start the show. We talked a little bit of in the beginning about a near fatal car accident that uh, kind of changed up some of your plans, maybe. Can you take me back a little bit to where you're from and a little bit of your upbringing? Yeah, I was actually, I was born, in, born and raised in New York. I know my accent does fool people sometimes, but I've been, I was actually, did you see the movie Goodfellas? Yep. Okay, one of the guys portrayed, actually, maybe, more, well, one of the guys for sure portrayed in that movie was one of my neighbors. Oh, wow. A guy named Michael, Michael Francis. He's now got a Broadway play, and uh, well, not a Broadway play, but play in Vegas, blah, blah, blah. So I grew up in a pretty ethnic neighborhood, a lot of colorful characters around. My, you know, I hate to use the word escape, but I didn't want to live in that environment. I was very fortunate to come from two parents that were raised in Brooklyn. 
that did not want me in that environment. My father told me more than once, I'm more, confer- I'm more concerned about your character than your comfort. And he lived up to that most of my life. <laughs> he made sure I had character. Wasn't overly, overly concerned with my comfort. So I did use sports to kind of escape that environment. I went to college. I went to college as a competitive runner. I was a very, very good athlete. Went to 76 Olympics as a spectator and trained up there and with some of the Olympians. Then September 3rd, 1979, I was driving home from the movies. I was supposed to go back to college the very next day. I kind of stayed home a little longer than normal. I was leaving my house. My dad goes, John, you burn the candle at both ends. Stay home. All I did was go to the movies. And when I was coming back, I fell asleep behind the wheel. Last thing I remember was coming up on a stoplight. I was probably doing 15 miles an hour. I remember getting to the stoplight and thinking to myself, let me just get to the next road. I'll make a right. Because no cell phones to call anybody. And I couldn't stop in the middle of the road. Make a right and park and take a nap. That's the last thing I remember before the crash. I woke up in a, in a car full of flames. My face was on fire. My right hand was back by my elbow. If I could have moved my fingers, I could have scratched my elbow. That's how far back it was. Every rib was broken. My breastbone was split in half by three and a half inches. Lost all my teeth. My nose was completely severed from my face. My left leg was crushed so bad, and my left foot was crushed beyond recognition. They wanted to amputate my left leg. Steve Austin has nothing on you. (laughs) Other than the fact that he married Farrah Fawcett. (laughs) But yeah, so that was it. And then I went through the recovery period, a year and a half, two years into my recovery. My dad got me a job as a janitor in New York City school. Did that for a while. You know, I took every class the union had to offer, worked my way from being a janitor, from sweeping classrooms to becoming a field man, kind of manicuring the lawns for the football fields at Franklin K. Lane High School in Brooklyn. Then I worked my way into the boiler room, then decided to challenge Manhattan real estate in my late 20s. I interviewed at over 300 companies, got turned down by over 300 people. Eventually found one stupid person that would hire me, and they hired me. And about eight or nine months into that, I was the youngest senior VP in Manhattan real estate ever. Wow. Let's talk a little bit about 300 no's. And then finally, the one yes that really showed you that, wow, like I do have what it takes, and I have this fire inside of me despite the accident. Man, it's crazy to think back and, and hear you tell your story about how your dad said, don't go. You've been burning the candle on both ends. And, you know, I wrote down, I care more about your character than your comfort. Those, those were some big, big little openers that we talked about today. Tell me a little bit about being rejected 300 times. What character did that build for you? Well, you know, I already had that character in me before I got to that point because everything I've done in my life, whether it be athletics or whether it be, you know, any, anything I've ever done, I've been the underdog. You know, I'm not the best looking guy in the world. I can't sing. I can't dance. And I wasn't in the top of my class. And I didn't have any connections, you know, in business. So everything that I did was really pure perseverance. Even when I wrote my first book, I got turned down by well over 300, probably 400 agents and publishers. Everything that I've done in my life has been out of pure grit, just persevering, pushing, 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 and knowing that I had what it took to execute once I got to that point. Now, typically I was wrong. When I got to that point, I typically didn't have what it took to execute, (laughs) but I figured it out. You talk about grit. What's your definition of grit? My definition of grit kind of goes along with integrity in a way. And I, I, I can't separate one without the other in my mind. Grit is hanging in there and persevering through the pain, through the hardships, through everything. When everybody's telling you no, 
all you hear in your head, or what I heard, is okay, they simply don't have enough information to make an intelligent decision. I will do this. The reason I throw integrity in there is because there's a lot of ways to, to, to do shortcuts. You can do shortcuts. I've never found the shortcuts work for me. First of all, I, I, I don't have it in me to do a shortcut. Just as an example, in the late 2000s, I lost a, a very large construction company that my ex-wife and I owned. And it created a lot of problems in both of our lives when we lost it. And uh, subdivision went out. We were millions in debt. I was one of the few, if not the only person who didn't go bankrupt at that point. I'm the only one that I know of who's successful again today. So is there a correlation, like, you know, spiritually or in the business world or anything else? You know, I don't know if there's a correlation there, but in my head, there's a correlation because I know I'm not going to give up on anything or anybody. Your bankruptcy wasn't an option. And I think a lot of people in that industry still respect me today because of that. If nobody respects me because of that, I don't care. My kids were watching and my kids respect what I did. No, I mean, I get that, right? I think there's something, when we face adversity, there's something inside of us. Japanese proverb says, you know, fall down seven, get up eight, right? Like, no matter what, you're not going to quit. Like, there's something, and see, this is something that's so weird. It's like, I don't know if I learned it or I just never knew any different. Yeah. To never give up, right? Never to quit, to always fight. You were talking about athletics and, and give me a, what did you run? What was your, what was your event? The 400 and the 800 meters. Okay. So let's, let's take your career. How many like sprints have you seen 400 and 800 meters versus how you've kind of now lived your life as a marathon? It's a long distance run versus a short sprint. It is, but it isn't. I'm, I'm still, a, I'm still a bit of a sprinter. <laughs> you know, I'll bust my butt. Like when we're, we're sure. doing a launch or releasing something, you know, I'll put in the 18 to 20 hour days. But then as I've aged, I've learned to then take some time to myself. You know, I've worked with Dan Sullivan for years as a business coach. And he's taught me a lot about rejuvenating and, and being able to take care of myself and taking, you know, my ex-wife used to always say, I never took time to smell the roses. My father said the same thing. I never did. Just as an example, one day I came home with a armful of trophies and medals, laid them on the kitchen counter, went upstairs Got changed, came back down with my stopwatch. My father goes, where are you going? I said, I'm going to train. I got, you know, whatever it was, Pan Am games or something coming up. And he goes, Johnny, he goes, you'll never be happy. He goes, you never take time to savor the victories. And I probably didn't start taking time to savor my victories until I was well into my 50s. Mm. And I regret it. And my kids, thank God, have learned from me. And they're, they're doing different than I did. But it was the way I lived my life. And it was the only way I knew to do it. Yeah, that's why I tell people, I don't know if it's a bad thing. Right. I just don't know what we don't know. But then once you do find out right now in your 50s, life is what it is. Your kids have slowed down. You, you're actually probably smelling the roses more today. You're probably more at peace with where you're at in your life, but you still are hungry for more. Right. Oh, I'm hungry. You know, I, we talked about this off air and I don't mind mentioning it on air, but I'm going for a triple bypass in a few days. A week from today, actually, traffic and conversion was just this past weekend. And I got a call from the head of ClickBank. And he goes, you want me to give a message to anybody? I said, yeah, tell them I'll be out of the commission for a month or two. But whoever's number one on ClickBank, tell them not to get too comfortable. I'll be back in a few months. <laughs> right. See, like, that's the fight, right? That's the hunger inside of us. Like, I, I couldn't imagine getting in the ring with Mike Tyson, but I definitely feel like I have to fight like Mike Tyson every day because of how much is really going on. Like the haters are out there, all the people, you know, bad talking this and talking that, like I have to fight every day for what I built and to protect it. So you don't get to the bankruptcy stage. So you don't get to the point where 
success and failure, I think they, they belong together because I've never failed. I've just learned a lot of lessons that have helped me to become more successful in the things that I do in my life. Exactly right. And, and people who get to your level of success, they don't give up. They don't have that in them. They may change gears, but they don't have it in them to give up. What was one big lesson you have taken from the real estate market, the industry, and have never forgotten that you use all the time? Never to believe my press release. And I was told that by Harry Helmsley, who I worked for. He told me, he goes, young man, he goes, you're getting a lot of press. Don't, don't believe your own press releases. I like that. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually writing a note. I like that. Yeah. And then Barbara Corcoran, who's on Shark Tank today, she's one of my closest friends for 30 years. When I first went into Manhattan real estate, I acted like I was very confident. But on the inside, I was more like Tom Hanks in that movie Big. You know, I was a janitor in a real estate executive suit. And she called me up when I had breakfast with her most mornings for years. And she told me one day early in my career, she goes, never forget this. She goes, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. He goes, you're a roaring lion walking down Madison Avenue, devouring all the dinosaurs. And that sparked a confidence in me that I honestly didn't have at that point. I faked my confidence, but I didn't have any confidence. That's so interesting. Gosh, never believe my own press release. (laughs) Have you ever heard, I I, I don't want to phrase it wrong, but I want to phrase it to the right like mindset for us. There's some belief system instilled in you. We were talking about it just a minute ago. There's some, there's some belief, right? From cutting your teeth, working with Barbara Corcoran to real estate market, to the fatal car crash, to the conversation with your dad right before, like, you don't need to go out. And you're like, I got this, all the medals on the table. I got this. There's some correlation between all of this and why you've gone on to be titled America's lifestyle strategist by literally taking that mindset, right? What we were just talking about through all the ups and downs, Hey, yeah, I'm about to go have triple bypass, but I've also been able to do this and avoid that. And I've been able to help my kids and my family and myself by inspiring millions to become physically, mentally, and spiritually fit. I want to know the big question for me today is how does a guy from, you know, Brooklyn, New York, Manhattan grow up to go, Hey, I'm going to go be that guy when we were told never to believe my press release because I believe I've read the press release a few times about America's lifestyle strategist. You know, where I came from, my view of the world, you know, it's funny. People think you come from New York. You have this big view of the world. I grew up on 10th Avenue. I grew up on a little block with 20 houses on it. It was a dead end street. And it was either people who owned small businesses. You know, some of them were mob connected, but smaller businesses or, you know, sometimes mostly construction type business or trash hauling or oil companies, or my dad who worked in a union as a custodian engineer. He was a building manager for New York City schools. That was my view of the world. When I went to college, I literally did not know what to major in. So I majored in accounting. And the only reason I majored in the accounting is I didn't want to waste time at the registrar's office. I needed to get to track practice. I looked at the thing. Accounting began with an A. I didn't need to go to Z. Okay, I'll major in accounting because I didn't care. I wanted to run. (laughs) So my view of the world was very, very, very small. And then when I got into Manhattan real estate, it did get magnified. You know, I started meeting celebrities. You know, I I know Trump. I've met him a lot. Barbara Corcoran. I worked for the Helmsleys. And then I started meeting people. You know, my specialty was Park Avenue, Sutton Place, Beekman Place, Central Park, South and West, and Fifth Avenue. I, I basically controlled those areas, particularly Park Avenue, Sutton Place, as a young man. 
And I started meeting, you know, the heirs of the Sony fortune. I started getting friendly with Teddy Kennedy and his sister. I started getting friendly with the Rockefellers, you know, the heirs of the Rockefellers. I started making all these connections. And I found out early in life that part of my success was not because I was smart, but because part of a very large percent of my success was I could very easily, just as easily, speak to the janitor or the superintendent or the guy cleaning the floors in my buildings as easily as I could speak to the board president who, who ran American Express or Harry Helmsley. I, I, was, I was comfortable in both environments. Mm. And I think that was a large part of my success. You know, John, we've gotten to know each other over the last couple of years. I think I first ran into you at a mastermind Ed O'Keefe was doing right before TNC several years back. Mutual friend of ours, uh, Baron, got us kind of connected again. And then we've had just several conversations. And every time I hang up the phone, I'm like, I wish that guy was my neighbor because that's the kind of guy I would want to go break bread with and, you know, learn from and build businesses together with because you, there's just a fight. There's a passion inside. And I got to ask you when we were talking before the show about your triple bypass, what was your initial thought? (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Now that's why I'm tired all the time. That's why I don't. Uh, Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to curse on air. It's just funny to be funny. No, you look, the one thing I tell people is you be you, right? Yeah. My mom listens and I, and she knows that I have a potty mouth. So I I tell her every once in a while, you know, my mom listens though. Sorry, mom. I I framed the word, get shit done to get shit done. So, you know, I can still kind of say what I want to say without offending anybody. (laughs) When you got that kind of news back, did it kind of put together, like ease some of kind of your frustrations and, and things that you were going through? Did it kind of just give you like, all right, cool. At least now I know what's going on and now I can get everything back into check and then I can get on with the rest of my life. Yes. Yes. And no, 10% of it was, yeah, that, Oh, thank God. I know what it is. Let's address it. Let it get done with. I'll get back in shape. So that's 10% of it. 40% would be what, what went through my mind is good. I've got resources. Most people don't have, whether it be, you know, my cardiologist, the surgeon, People, you know, I could reach out to, you know, I reached out to JJ Virgin and Dave Asprey and other friends of mine on the best way to eat to recover from this. Most people don't have that, that option. I do. So what also popped into my mind at that point was, this is great. I'm going to be able to help a lot of people who would never even think about this that would drive a heart attack. But that's 50%. So the 10% and 40, the other 50% went to my mind, which has been wearing on me is I live alone and I don't want to be a burden to anybody. So everybody's telling me you're not a burden, but the bottom line is I don't want to be a burden to anybody. So that really, for me, the biggest challenge is my mental state right now, not wanting to be a burden to somebody after a major surgery. How do you you deal with that? I I think that's an important piece that I don't want to just skimp over. Okay. You as a male, you as a man in your 50s, 60s, say, I don't want to be a burden. Where does that come from inside you? Where does that come from? What space does that come from? Probably starts as a kid. You know, I've always been very independent. I grew up in the streets. I didn't have an older brother. Where I grew up, you either had an older brother or you were the older brother. If you were the older brother, you were the one getting into the scuffles. So I always depended on myself. As an adult, you know, I raised four kids and I raised a family. And, you know, a good part of my life, I worked three full-time jobs. You know, I worked eight hours a day at one job, did another eight-hour-a-day job, and then put in 12 hours Saturdays and Sundays. 
so I've always been very independent. I've, I've always been the caregiver. For me to be in the position of being cared for is... Does that cause you some insecurity? Very much so. You know, my son, Jimmy, and my son, John, Jessica, and Jacqueline, they've all been great. You know, my son, Jimmy's going to, he's like, dad, don't worry about it. He's going to stay here during the days with me. My son, both of my kids, my, all of my kids have offered me to come live with them. My daughter, Jacqueline's coming in from Texas for my surgery. You know, I've got support. My best friend, Brian's coming in from New York to stay with me for a few days. Got other friends who are going to be helping me. But, you know, even with that, I don't know. What, I, I'll feel better once I'm awake and I feel like what I'm going through. Yeah, you know I, what I mean? I, on the other side is a lot easier yeah. than pre- preparing for what you don't know. Yeah. Once I know where I'm at, the pain, you know, I can handle the pain. I'm not worried about the pain. I'm just worried about my mobility, my ability to be able to care for myself without somebody being there. So it really does. It wears on me. Everybody tells me not to, you know, my son, Jim is like, you know, stop that. We've got you. But, you know, as a man, you're a man, you understand this. You know, you don't want to be a burden on anybody. No, I think it's, I think it's what we think about often and we don't vocalize. We think it in our head and then, you know, we don't want to be a burden on people. And then sometimes I I feel like we end up being a burden to ourselves and not anybody else. And then I don't know how to accept your help. Yeah. That's probably the the thing that I hear in your voice is similar to what I hear in mine is I'm good. I got this. Yeah. You go worry about you. I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Thanks for your, thanks for your understanding and your care, but I got this, but I'm okay admitting that I'm still scared. Yeah. I I am scared. No question. You know, they cut me open. So I'm a little scared about that. I would guess, I guess I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. But my 99% of my fear is really my aftercare. Being alone, you know, what if I get up and pass out? Or, you, know, you, you know what I mean? And yeah. then you, your ribs are broken in half. And that's the kind of the thing that goes through my mind. But in reality, I do have a good support system. My kids well, are Just there. give me your address before surgery and I'll get you one of those help I fall and I can't get up buttons. <laughs> we can help you get to the, the wherever you need to go. You're not alone, brother. I'm going to tell you right now, if I jump on a plane and need to be there, I'll be there. Like, you I know got that. it. I'll put it on a podcast for the world to hear. That's what we do. We help friends through tough times because we want to be there through the good times. And I appreciate that. And I know that. And I've got you and I've got other friends that would do it. But just as a man, you know, it's, I guess, pride. What do they say? Pride comes before the fall. I just need to swallow my pride. And, it's, and the thing is, the fortunate thing is, I really don't have a choice. You know, I have to depend on people for at least for a few weeks. Yeah, so we'll keep this very calming today because I don't want to get you too excited. <laughs> I just want to tell you what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. And, and when we come back, I, I want to learn about old school, newbody.com and what you're up to. I love, I love the fire inside of you when you're like, click bang, hey, I'll be back. Tell the number one guy I'm coming, right? Like there's a fight, <laughs> there's that hunger, there's that, hey, I got this. The beginning statement, though, has still been moving. I wrote it down. Man, I, I, I love people and I just, people who love me, like really like that, that is really, I think what sums up success in a lot of ways. I'm going to steal that because I think at the end for me, just talking to you is, is your four kids, you know, you work three full-time jobs to make it happen. Your ex-wife, all of those things that you've gone through near bankruptcy, but fighting through it and everything to get you to this very moment. So you and I could connect. So you and I could be here. So we can keep inspiring millions on your behalf to become physically and mentally and spiritually fit. And when we come back, I want to talk about what you just said and how that all kind of falls into alignment with being spiritually fit. Because you've been physically fit, mentally tough, 
And then I want to know where the source comes from, the spiritually fit side of it. We'll tie that in the old school new body.com when we return in just a few minutes with today's guest, John Raleigh on Be Fulfilled. Are you suffering from marketing dysfunction? Are you not able to perform online as well as you could when you were younger? Unable to keep up with the intimate demands of buying product, running offers, and shipping items to your customers? Say hello to Ship Offers. Clinically proven to enhance the growth and longevity of your business. Get some today at shipoffers.com. We are back on the Be Fulfilled podcast. My name is Tony Grubmeyer. We are talking about the real stories behind success, right? We remove money from the equation. What are you left with? Today's guest loves people and, and people who love him, right? That really, to me, just sums up kind of like love God, love people and in a nutshell. And I love it. John Raleigh is a, a successful entrepreneur who's had his fair share of ups and downs just days away from triple bypass. So we're, we're talking calm today because we can't get them too excited. But we're talking about real life situations. We're talking about, you know, having a near fatal car accident that left him with tons of bumps and bruises and scrapes and burns and everything on his body when his dad was saying, John, slow down. Just, you don't have to, like you're going too fast. But dad, I got all these medals. Look, I want to go win more races and get it. And you get that gift. And then you're you're working in the real estate market. And from there in Manhattan, you, you basically are the go-to person from all these regions around you. And then you become good friends, Barbara Corcoran and all of these other people who have been by your side. And then we were talking about the title that you've earned America's lifestyle strategist. And in doing so, you have met amazing people along your career. And we were talking about something right before the break. And we were talking about you don't want to be a burden. And I get that because, you know, I, I don't want to put myself into a position where I need somebody else to take care of me. Yeah. But man, I got to tell you, bro, like from a guy who is not physically fit on my behalf, looking at a person who is physically fit, I think I'm pretty darn mentally tough. But being in many positions, just listening to you and the things that you had to do growing up, not having an older bro on the streets and you kind of had to man up and, and fend for yourself, how you had to become mentally fit. And now we are sitting on a show today talking about something that I'm, I'm a big believer in, man, which is spiritually fit. Me too. You got to draw a source from something. My cell phone doesn't charge without getting plugged in, right? It's kind of funny. Like uh, my car doesn't work without gas. Like I got to go get, I got to go get to it. I got to be intentional with it. Tell me about spiritually fit and what, what does that really mean to you? Well, in this day and age, there's a lot of talk about spirituality. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't even know what half of it means. And, <laughs> and I got to be honest, I think most of the people who are throwing those words out, they don't know what it means either. My, my relationship with God is what I refer to as being spiritually fit. And my path in that was I was raised, I was raised uh, Irish Catholic. You know, if my parents are going to listen to this, I know they don't like hearing this, but I never bought it. I, I just never did. I never bought into it. I went to Catholic school. Maybe if I didn't go to Catholic school, I would have bought into it more, but I was terribly abused by the nuns, you know, physically, just beaten, just beaten. And they would smash my fingernails until my, until my fingernails turned black and blue. And, and, you know, looking back, honestly, they were just frustrated because they became nuns because they wanted to serve God. And then they got into, into a job that didn't fulfill them. So they took it out on, they took it out on the active boys, you know? 
So I went through that, raised my kids. I wanted my kids to have a faith. So early on, we went to the Catholic church. You know, they hated it as much as I did. I would wait for one of the kids to cry so I could get up and leave and hang out with the other fathers who didn't want to be there. <laughs> and, I'm, and, and I'm not one of these guys to bash any religion. No. I'm just not religious. So, uh, you know, just going in and kneeling up and down, you know, ringing bells and smelling incense, you know, I didn't see how God wanted us to do that. I just didn't see the correlation between what's supposed to be a loving God and all these rituals and stuff that went on with it. I just never bought it. So by the time I was 12 or 13 years old, I found that Santa Claus was fake, found out the Easter Bunny was fake. Wait, 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 wait. Santa Claus? (laughs) I get the Easter Bunny, but now you just proved Santa Claus? I I didn't mean to ruin it for you. And that's just my opinion. And I just figured Jesus was the next one on that. So I kind of floated along, went to different churches and tried different things. And when I was in Manhattan real estate, I'd go to the different cathedrals. And they were all, all those cathedrals were about as empty as I was. Mm. So it never really went anywhere. And then I moved to North Carolina and I was with a guy named Jim Anthony and he's a very, very large real estate developer, investor, owns probably the largest real estate commercial company here in town. He's actually a partner of mine. And when I first met him, he invited me to go to the gym. He knew I was into working out. I used to own the gym where the movie Pumping Iron was filmed and all Schwarzenegger and Lou Fregno was in. So he used that to that and real estate to get a relationship with me. But his ultimate goal was to introduce me to Christ. So one day we're at the YMCA, kind of like it's kind of like the New York Athletic Club, but here in Raleigh, you know, they got the shoe shining guy in the men's locker room, the hair cutting guy, and all that kind of stuff. So him and I are talking in the locker room. Nobody knows me, but they're listening closely because of my accent and because he was very well known. So he's like, I want you to come and work with me, and, but we're a spiritual company and all this kind of stuff. And he was wearing on me because he kept talking about the spiritual company and this and this. And I'm like, you know what? I work for Leona and Harry Helmsley. I know how people like you are. Give me a package of information I can digest. Give me some information about your company so I can make an intelligent decision. And do me a favor. Knock off the crap with the, with the spiritual stuff because that'll go out the window. This first time you lose your money, lose a couple of dollars. That'll go away. Hmm. He was pissed. He got really angry. And he was a, he was a, he still is a big, muscular, very in good shaped guy. He storms away, throws a towel over his shoulder, storms away, but then gets mad. Turns around to me. He goes, Listen to me, you a hole. He goes, I can get up every morning and tr- rest my troubles at the cross of Jesus Christ. Can you? Well, got my attention because he was passionate about it, you know? We ended up talking in the shower for probably four hours. He brought me from Genesis through Revelations. Then I started going to church, reading my Bible, got involved with the men's group, got involved with the Promise Keepers movement back then, back in the late 90s, mid-90s. Then I started getting involved with missions councils and men's councils on the church, and I started seeing all the imperfections in the church. But, you know, it was really nice because in the Bible, God would take blind eyes and make them see. What he did for me for the first five years of, of my faith in Christ he took my seeing eyes and made them blind to all the crap in church. So my faith would build and build and build. And so all that to say, I'm not very religious. I believe in Jesus and I believe in Christ and I, all of that, but I'm not a huge fan of what the church does to our faith. If, if that makes sense. No, I thought, I thought that was great. I, I appreciate the kind of breakdown a little bit. The piece that was interesting, you were talking about nuns. <laughs> kind of how they got a job, right? And their job was what it was. And I, I remember, I think I was at the tail end of getting knuckles smashed. I don't think it was a very like 
big thing. I, I lasted in Catholic school for eight weeks. So I, I, mean, <laughs> I didn't know eight weeks worth of Catholic school. But I went there knowing that I did not want to be there. And so I did everything I could to get kicked out. Well, me too. I, I didn't want to be there either. They pulled my brothers out, but they let, made me stay in through, eight, through nine years. And looking back, my parents regretted it as well. And I know that. Yeah, you know, here, here's a thought. I, you know, it's, you kind of talked a little bit about Santa Claus about it too. It kind of, there's something about a spirit. There's something about just a belief, right? I believe in a power greater than myself. A part of my recovery program teaches me that. And so I get, I get to choose my conception. Right? Yes. And I, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. I, 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 that's, that's where I go. But like when I'm, when I'm in recovery, talking to other people in recovery, that's my conception of God. And I, I, it's mine. Everybody listening today can, they believe in what they believe, right? Yeah. My job isn't to necessarily change them, but my job is just to be a good person and to live out in such a way that inspires others to say, hey, like, why do you do the things you do? Like, and today you shared very eloquently about your faith and, and, and your spirituality. And I think that's something that we brush aside because it's crazy. You go on the Facebook, you talk about God or spirituality you'll get cricket posts or you'll get like Trump supporters or namesayers or whoever. Exactly. Right. But man, like we live in this society today where my opinion matters, but everybody questions it every single day. And then that's where I then stop being the person I was and start saying, well, I'm not going to post anymore. I'm not going to, I'm not going to share my opinions because it's going to offend people. I'm like, look, your job isn't to offend people, but some people are easily offended and that's not your problem. Exactly right. And I just got to tell you, man, like, thank you for just sharing about the moment where someone was so passionate that you said, because it's what I do. Tell me what you believe and why you believe it. And next thing you know, four hours later, you got to perfectly walk through scripture. And now you have a foundation that literally started from the beginning of the show today. You know, people love me and I love people. And and I, I... think there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's beautiful. And you know what? I know Christianity gets a lot of negative press, you know, through social media or through media and everything else. But you know what? I think if, and I'm, I'm certainly not bashing Christians, but I'm not bashing the naysayers either. I think if Christians just walked in what Jesus said was the number one rule or the number one law or whatever, which is love. Yep. If we walked in love, all the other stuff wouldn't be happening, you know. No, you and I have I, a lot I, of mutual. We have a lot of mutual friends that are not Christians. Yep. But they're still friends of ours, and we love them, and they love us. And no, I, um, I got an email yesterday from Vinny Fisher. Oh, Vinny's a great guy. He was talking about his mastermind, Total CEO, and we were talking about how we could do our part, right? How we could give back. One of the members. Jeff has got involved with a group out of India and then there's another community home in Haiti. I mean, there's just ways that you can love people and you don't yes. have to have all the answers. And I think God shows up in everyday circumstances and every day I get to see love. And I, I just want to say, thanks, John. I mean, I keep it calm, keep it real, but be like transparent, man. I think that the gifts you're sharing today are the things that people sometimes overcomplicate. And we, and I want to, I, I literally think, it's been a perfect transition from old school to new body, but also the old school mindset replaced today with, we live in a society that's instant. Yes. We get what we want right away. We start complaining. So I want to talk about old school, new body. And I really want to talk about it in a, in a simple breakdown way. What is it? 
How can people get involved in it? And how come it's been around for so long and it's been a top seller? Well, I really believe this gets back to my faith. When I wrote Old School New Body, I was broke. I was very, very deep in debt. I had two best-selling books out there. My painting company, which I had, which went bank, it didn't go bankrupt, but it went under. I wouldn't go bankrupt. Lost a lot of money. I remember standing on my back deck, and the way I got to Old School New Body is I had a couple of people encourage me to do a ClickBank product. I had no idea what ClickBank was. So we do Old School New Body. I remember being on my back deck, Lord, please, let me just make $500 a week with this so we could eat. I lost everything. I didn't have a car for three years. My house was under foreclosure for over two years. Thank God we never lost the house. We were in bad shape, and we launched it. And I do want to honor somebody after I tell this story because he played a huge role in it. But we launched it, and it did $5 million in the first 90 days. From what so I go from broke to $5 million in 90 days. Not all of your money, but like that's what the program does. Yeah, and it wasn't too impressive because I owed a lot of money. So you know, we, we were still <laughs> broke. We were still broke at the end, but I wasn't in debt anymore. And the transition to that was I had two best-selling books. One is called uh, Climb Your Ladder of Success Without Running a Gas. And the other one is called The Power of Positive Fitness. And then subtitled to that is Maximizing Physical, Mental, and Spiritual Health. Both of those did very well. And I was making my living as my painting company was declining. I was making my, my money as a motivational speaker. I was taking a lot of the gigs that Zig Ziglar was using at the time. And he was referring me and recommending me. I was the top speaker in the world for IBM and Amway and a lot of these other companies. But then in the late 2000s, that dried up as well. So when that dried up, I was scrambling, trying to make anything happen, calling different people. And I get a call from Sean Phillips. EAS, right? You know, yeah, yeah, EAS. I got a call from, was it Sean? I think it, it was either Sean or Bill Phillips, one of the two. Called me up and said, a guy named John Benson wants to meet you. He's a big fan of yours. He's getting ready to speak on stage. So John calls me up, and you know John, right? John's a business partner and one of my closest friends today, but calls me up, and for a week I helped him. We would talk four or five hours a day. We'd talk about religion, which he loves debating, and we would talk about business and talk about everything, and I would help him, you know, just some tips on speaking and whatever else. Make a long story short, he, at the, the last day before he was getting ready to go to his speaking gig, he, told, he goes, well, what are you working on? I said, well, I'm working on a thing called the sales page for this thing called Old School New Body. No idea what I'm doing. It's probably a waste of time, but I need to finish it. I promised I would do it. He was really a sales page. He goes, send it to me. I said, all right. I didn't think twice about it, Tony. Sent him the sales page. A couple days later, he emails me back the sales page he wrote. And I read that sales page, and I was like, I want to buy this book. So I emailed him back. I said, this is wonderful. It's amazing. What do you do for a living? Immediately calls me. He goes, you don't know who I am? I said, John, I have no idea who you are. He goes, he goes, you've been helping me for the last week. or It was two weeks, actually. You've been helping me for the last two weeks. We've been talking for two weeks. You've just been doing this to help me out. I said, yeah. He goes, well, what do you do for a living? I said, I got two books. I'm very, very deep in debt. My life is not going right at the moment, but not giving up. My kids are watching me every day, so I need to figure this out. And he goes, well, what I do for a living is, you know, some would arguably say I'm the best copywriter in the world. I'm the one who, in, who invented the VSL, which is video sales letter. And he goes, and take that sales page and run with it. I said, uh-uh. I said, you're, you're my partner on this now. I said, I don't know this business. I don't know anybody in it. I mm. said, if, you, if you're my partner, then I can call you and I can ask you questions. I will not ask you to put one ounce of energy in other than lead me in the right direction. We've been partners since 2012 and it's been 
doing pretty darn good. But I do want to give one more plug to John. I just wrote my own sales page for a new program that I got coming out called Eat the Fat Off. It'll be released hopefully while I'm doing recovery. He guided me through it. I really got a great education in writing sales copy, but it's not, it wasn't finished. When I found out I needed triple bypass, called my son up immediately. He goes, tell your father to stop working on any sales copy because I'm taking over the whole project for you. So it just goes to show you that some of the people that we have in our lives, John Benson, Vinny Fisher, Doug Barron, and a lot of our other friends, we're in an industry, Tony, that most people can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, people can't imagine a John Benson or a Tony Grubmeyer or a Doug Barron who serves me as well. Vinny Fisher, all of these people, people in the outside world cannot, cannot imagine the love and honor that our friends would do for us in our time of need. I had never experienced that before in any other business. You know, if I was in Manhattan real estate right now and I was going for a triple bypass, the wolves would be sitting there shopping and I thrilled. He's going to be out of commission for two months. We could take him over. Not in this business. I've got everybody reaching out to me. Roland Fisher, Roland, Roland, Roland Frazier, you know, not Roland. No, Perry Belcher. They both called me, but Perry called me, heard me, heard about my, my triple bypass. And he told me, he goes, I'm going to give you, I'll give you all the videos from traffic and conversion for free as soon as they're ready. Whether you're a Christian or don't believe in God at all, love is the overpowering thing. It is. And, you know, uh, one of the things that I want to tell you, you just shared, I hope you got it, is when John called you and says, I, to your son and says, I got this. Tell your dad, don't worry about it. So you accepted help. I did. Right. It's kind of, it's cool. It's, uh, it's yeah. one of this uh, earlier interview today, we were talking about grace. There's a grace about you today. There's, there's, there's this calming sense of, all right, I got this. We're going to do this together. Not alone. Yeah. I love it. What I want to do now is I want to take the old school, John, Blending with the new school, John, and we're going to take you and put you in the fulfillment round. The fulfillment round is you can't phone a friend. You got to make stuff up. If you don't know, please just. (laughs) I might be making a bunch of stuff up. Good. The only thing that I need you to say is I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Fulfillment round. Take me back to Catholic school. Tell me a name, sister, who who carried carried a, a stick around and gave John. You you could probably say any last name and it's probably going to be very similar. So I need a, I need a sister's name who beat me. Yeah. Sister Helen Murphy. <laughs> and she was big, man. She was not a little nun. <laughs> she was every bit of six foot two fifty. <laughs> Childhood friend you grew up with. Brian McLaughlin. Something you remember from running that stayed with you throughout your entire life. Don't look back. What you want isn't back there. It's in front of you. Okay. You were talking a little bit too, and I, I love this. I thought this was this still was the magical, the magical piece today when we were talking about your mindset of having breakfast with Barbara, and she, you know, she was she was every day or you know as much as you could time spent with her. What was something she ingrained in you besides long? Your buddy was saying, you know, never believe my press release. What was something she said to you that's really kind of stuck with you. Barbara was really, yeah, I haven't seen her in quite a while. And whenever I write a book, if I ask her to endorse it, she will. She made me believe in myself when I didn't. I had a lot of insecurities. Do I have time to tell a brief story? Please. Very brief. Show. I'm just here to just facilitate oh, some questions. My, my first day in Manhattan real estate, I went to a meeting on Park Avenue. 
was Seven Park Avenue. I, actually, that building really made my career because it was a horrible building on Park Avenue that I was able to turn around. But I walked in there for the first meeting, and this guy named Mark Harris, he was my boss at the time, walks in with me. He ended up working for me years later. <laughs> walks in, and he goes, he goes, don't say anything, just do the minutes. I'm like, no problem. So I go in there, I didn't say anything, did the minutes. The next morning in the office, he yells across the yard, he goes, Mr. Rowley, can you have the minutes on my desk in an hour? Well, I wanted to impress him. I said, sure, Mr. Harris. In fact, I could do you one better. 72 minutes. He starts laughing. Oh, oh, oh you're a card. You're going to lighten this office up. I didn't know it was funny. He go, I go into my office. My secretary comes in, slams my door, leans over my desk like a pit bull, and says, you don't even know what the minutes are. I said, no, what they are they? She goes, they're the most important thing you're doing at a meeting. They're the corporate records. And I said, well, I, I got a mind like a steel trap. I said, let's, let's reinvent those. I said, but I'll make you a deal. She goes, what? I said, don't let anybody know that I don't know what minutes are. And if you get me through the first year, I promise you, I'll get you through the rest of your career. And she did. She got me through the first year and she worked for me until I left. And now she's a property manager. People, man, love. You've got a lot of love around you. A lot of people love you and, and take time out of their day to check on you. I think that's a, that's an amazing thing. What's something that you can take me back to as a, as a story you got away with? Mom and dad, if you're listening right now, this is a long time ago, so don't punish John. Something that you got away with that you look back now and you go, wow, I can't believe I got away with that. Oh, my gosh. So many. <laughs> Just um, give me one. Just take me one. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good one. Okay, this is, uh, we'll go back to Catholic school. My dad ran New York City schools, and we had, there was a key called the 47 key. It opened up all the electrical outlets. But my dad used that because he always carried it on his ring anyway to rekey our garage. So my garage key was a 47 key. Well, after one of the beatings I got from one of the nuns, I'm looking at this electrical panel. I'm sitting in the hallway. I'm like, I wonder if the 47 key would open that. And it did. So for the rest of my time, that, I probably discovered that in fifth grade. For the rest of my time, fifth through eighth grade, whenever I wanted to, I'd go shut the whole damn building down. I'd turn all the power out, the lights. I'd just go. They would, they'd, sit, they'd beat me, send me off to be punished somewhere. And I'd go, I'd go shut all the power down. <laughs> and I, I never, I love, I love I never got caught. If you and I were to go jump in your vehicle right now and take a drive, I'll drive so you can sit in the passenger seat. Okay. What would I find playing on your radio? Typically some kind of self-help, a marketing program, something on copywriting, business development, personal development. Been re-listening to a lot of my Dan Sullivan stuff lately. So if that's not on, if that's not on, it would typically be country music. So one of the, one of the two. Who's a, your jam for country music? Who's, who's your go-to? If, you, if that, that song comes on the radio or that artist comes on, you're just, you're, you're just tapping your feet on the ground and you're just like, this is a good song. Yeah, I like all of them, but you know, I like Keith Urban, Thomas Rhett, you know, there's a few of them I, that I like. I know, you know, I know Leanne Rhymes, you know, she, she brought me to one of her concerts to sign autographs for her staff. She's a phenomenal singer. I remember being in radio playing blue for the very first time. Oh yeah. My, she's got some voice, but when I, when she had me backstage signing for her, her thing, I'm back there doing pictures and Kenny Chesney comes over because they were doing it together. He puts on some show though. Oh yeah. And he, so he came over and said, hi. And so I turned around, I said, hey, I know who you are. He goes, who, who am I? I said, you're Kenny Chidney. Is that what I sound like? I said, whenever I hear you on the radio, you say your name. Hey, I'm Kenny Chidney. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Kenny and uh, Tim McGraw. I remember when they did their, their, their tour together a long time ago. Tim McGraw. Do you like Tim McGraw? 
I like Tim McGraw a lot. I like Tim. Seen him in Vegas. I like Trick Pony. I'm 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 pretty good friends with Keith and Heidi. Yeah, I I like I, I like a lot of them. All right, this is the last question, but it's a big one. It's going to talk about your four kids. So you get a chance to share something about each one of your kids that just sense and sense or two something about them. Well, one thing I can say about every one of them is they've got incredible integrity. I'm very, very proud of them. In fact, I'm proud that I was raised them and I kind of wish I had some of their characteristics in me versus, versus vice versa. My oldest son, Jimmy is president of my company, my marketing company. He's a partner of my supplement company as well with Jimmy. He's got a, an incredible heart. He would, he's got a pastor's heart. He would do anything for anybody. Great husband, great father, and great son. My son, Johnny, is a war hero. He spent a year in Afghanistan. He's 100% disabled through the military. He's got uh, character and integrity. And, you know, the funny thing is anything I'm saying about one of my kids can go to every one of sure. my kids. So if my kids are listening, I'm talking about every one of you with this. Johnny, is a, he's a man's man. So is Jim. If I had to walk into war... If I had to pick two men to be by my side, it would be my sons. And I am walking into war on Tuesday. And they're and wanting kids, to be by your side. They're going to be there with me. Now, they, won't say, they won't have it any other way. My daughter, Jessica, has been an angel since she was born. Her daughter Zoe's birthday is on Saturday or Sunday. Sunday. We've got her birthday party on Sunday. So I'll be able to be at that before my surgery. She's an accountant. She's a mom. She's an incredible wife. She has such incredible poise about her. You would never know if she was upset. Just a wonderful, loving girl. Uh, my daughter, Jacqueline, is one of these people. If she's in the room, she will not be denied. She's got a gregarious personality, gregarious personality. She's outgoing. She's never met a stranger. She's got incredible integrity as well. She's walked through some hardship lately. And she's walking through it with grace and never complains. So Zig Ziglar used to say, I'm the, the proud father of Tom Ziglar. And Tom's a good friend of mine as well. And that's the way I look at my life. I'm, I'm the proud father of Jim, John, Jessica, and Jacqueline. And I couldn't be prouder of them. And my ex-wife, Kathy, you know, we're not married anymore. But she did an incredible job raising them. While I was working three jobs, she was there at home with these kids, making sure that they became the human beings that they became. So I'm very proud of my family. Man, I just want to tell you thanks. I do, I do the last little bit kind of just spontaneous because I, I love when people get to stop for a moment and just remember why they do what they do, the gifts that they've been given, and an opportunity to share. And, and I think as you were talking about each one of your kids, the tears welled up in you a little bit because you know the impact that you've had on their life and vice versa. Yeah. But also when you're talking about your daughter, the last one going through life and you're right there in the battle with them. That, that's what I want people to walk away from. Here's a gentleman who's been uber successful, who's had it all and has been through you know, the valley and came out with saying, like, look, I've got faith. I, I've got mental toughness. I've got my physical fitness. I've got this, this thing inside of me that says, keep moving forward. And, and I really want to say today, I think what I'm going to take away from the show, not just your mental toughness, but I think the heart. 
I think you've got heart. I think you've got a fight. I think you've got a desire. I think you've got this will. Like if you could bottle up and sell it, it'd be your number one supplement because I think you, it's crazy to think, right? We run businesses and we think, hey, I'm all doing this for this. But the only thing that really matters is what you brought in with your ex-wife or these four kids. Like that truly is what matters from them, inspiring them to leave a legacy behind. And I think you've done an amazing job throughout all of our conversations. I'm always left going, can I have more? Can I have more? But <laughs> that, that wraps up our show today. So I want to say thank you very, very much. And in our, in our notes today, oldschoolnewbody.com will show up. We'll go. Uh, we'll we'll go find more links about you. We'll put some other programs in there. We'll we'll get some stuff on there as well. And know we're all rooting for you during your surgery. You're going to be just fine. We'll be praying for you. And I love you. Uh, I'm proud of you. I appreciate everything that you're going through. And know that we're here fighting and uh, rooting you on. Thank you, Tony. I love you too. And you're a good friend. And I really appreciate you. And this is my last interview, as far as I know. This is my last interview before I go into surgery. So if you want to have me back post-surgery, let me know. I'll definitely have you post-surgery. I think that would be an amazing thing too because a couple of things came up today is what it's going to be like, right? And you don't know, but once you've been through it, you can say what it's been like. Yeah, and I, I really want to get out there, uh, and I know we're going to close, but I want to really go out there and be a voice regarding heart disease because there's a lot of people who don't have the benefits I have. Well, that guy right there is John Raleigh. My name is Tony Grebmeyer. This has been another episode of Be Fulfilled, The Real Stories Behind Success. We went up and we went down. And one thing is still true. We're both here to tell you that it's possible no matter what you're going through. Keep fighting. You're not alone in this battle. Hit your knees, look up, whatever you need to do. Reach out to a friend. Don't feel like you're doing it all by yourself. There's billions of people on this planet who will be there to help you if you will just allow somebody to help you. No situation, no circumstance is too much that you can't get through if you have the capacity, in my opinion, to get on this clean house. And, you know, work, work, work something that wasn't working in your life today. Make a decision to find something that does. And when you do that, I think everything else takes care of itself. So I just want to say thank you. And no matter where you go, no matter what you do today, go make today the absolute best day of your life. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the architect of your journey in this game we call life? Take the next step now at trainersanddrivers.com and download my free mini course designed to give you more clarity and freedom in your day. It might just change your life forever.